This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show for CPAs, where we're always discovering how to build better clients, a better practice, and a better life. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of the Wealth Ability Network. So we're in busy season right now. We're just starting tax season. And, uh, you know, running a business is hard. Running a, a tax or CPA firm, I think is one of the most difficult businesses in the world. And we always have to be concerned about burnout. And we're going to talk about burnout, not just for ourselves, which is certainly an issue for us. We're also going to talk about burnout for our employees because we have great employees and we tend to run our great employees the hardest. And uh, I know I, I know that's the temptation. And I have, I have one in particular that I'm always concerned that I'm going to run her too hard because she's such an amazing employee and you don't want them to burn out either. And so, uh, you know, I think this is a very timely topic. We have an expert on this. Um, Paula Davis wrote the book, Beating Burnout at Work. And uh, Paula, it is just so great to have somebody, a specialist on burnout uh, in a show with CPAs. So <laughs> we're, we're, like the, we're like the prototype for burnout. So I, I know that you actually came from a profession that is the other prototype, which would be the legal profession. So how'd you get into this and how'd you end up, I mean, congratulations on getting away from law, um, but <laughs> how did you actually get into this whole um, discussion and study of burnout? That, thank you, Tom. That's so funny because so many lawyers will pull me aside when I see them and they'll be like, how did you escape? Tell me, tell me, how did you escape? Uh, so I actually burned out during what became the last year of my law practice. And I didn't know what it was. I, I just knew something was going on um, in my work environment and with me that made it so that it was harder for me to manage stress and just feel like I was plugged in at work and really wanting to go to work. And um, it took me a long time to figure out what was happening and it made my burnout actually go on longer than it had to. And it got pretty severe, you know, at, for a certain period of time. And so once I recovered, I, I figured, you know, what am I going to do as the next step in my career? I don't want to keep practicing law and found the, uh, masters in applied positive psychology program at the university of Pennsylvania. And so I thought, I'll go back and I'll learn the science of well-being so that I can talk to busy professionals and, and leaders and workplaces to help educate them about this topic and, you know, not have people go where I went and create the type of cultures that we need so that burnout is less likely to happen. Well, I love that. So I'm going to start so everybody, so I can be transparent with everybody. We're very transparent on the show, Paula. And yeah. um, I'm going to just tell you my burnout story because I have my burnout story. So about 15 years ago, my partner, Ann and I had, um, we were working about 3,500 hours a year each oh, uh, yeah. in our, in our practice. So we were doing great. I mean, we had tons of clients coming in. We were doing a ton of work. We were making a boatload of money mm -hmm. and, uh, we both about the same time, we just go, we're done. I mean, we like burned out. We looked at selling the company. Um, you know, we looked at all sorts of things. We, we decided not to sell the company and we decided, you know what, we're going to deal with this. But the funny story, the, the funny thing is, and I love that you wrote a book on this because I remember very clearly going to the bookstore 
when I mean, I'm like, you know, you're so flat, right? When you're burned out, you're just so mm -hmm. flat. Yeah. And I'm going, do you have a book on burnout? And they said, what? <laughs> you know, you know, burnout, like, like when you're burned out from your job. And, and the response was, that's not a real thing. <laughs> we don't have any books on that. I'm going, so thank you, Paula, um, for writing that book. But I can tell you, I, I, I've been there. It is a real thing. It's different from, it, it's a very different feeling. It's not like a meltdown. That's different. Okay. Mm -hmm. Been there, done that as well. That's a different topic for a different time. Um, <laughs> but burnout is something that I, I agree. I think we need to not only watch it for ourselves, we need to watch it for our employees. You know, the challenge with, um, being a business owner, especially a CPA, because, you know, right now we can literally work 90 hours a week and, and, oh, yeah. and still have more work to do is that there's never an end to the work. There's never an end to the work. So how do you, okay. So, so I'm going to ask flat out, Paula, how mm -hmm. do you deal with it? How do you not get to that point? So, so there's a lot of ways to kind of think about or answer that question. And so one of the things that I like to start with in terms of educating people about sort of how we need to be thinking about burnout is we need to start moving away from thinking about it as this sort of individual created kind of self-helpy kind of problem. Um, certainly there are traits that we all bring to the table in terms of how we process stress and how we think under stress and pressure and things that influence whether or not we set ourselves up to be on the path to burnout. But what's been really an aha moment for me over the course of my last 10 years studying this, because that's where I started. I started with the opinion that I, I did something wrong. I need to fix myself. What is it? And what the research is very clear about and what, what my clients have told me, of course, also over the years supports the same and that we have to start thinking about this in more of a systemic kind of cultural way and start to think about not only what can I or your individual, you know, frontline workers and employees do to get better at managing stress, but we also have to look at what is the kind of environment that we're all responsible for creating at work? And is that moving us closer to burnout or moving us further away from burnout? So really starting to move the direction toward a more systemic, um, you know, kind of culture focused um, discussion becomes, becomes really important. So that's the first step, really just understanding that we're likely thinking about burnout a little bit wrong. And we've got to shift our focus to kind of thinking about, you know, all facets of work because all of that plays into whether burnout happens. So, so, so you had a, a, a word there that I think is a, it's a very important word, and that's culture. Mm -hmm. And what is it about a, the culture of a work environment that kind of tends to lead towards burnout versus having a healthy work environment? That's a fantastic question. And what we know causes burnout is generally a pretty simple formula. You have too many job demands and too few job resources. So all of the things that are, um, you know, energy draining about your work, right? So for CPAs, it's, you know, constantly answering emails and putting all the tax forms together and dealing with clients and all, and all of those things aren't bad. They're just, you know, energy draining aspects consistent, you know, consistently of your work. Um, your job resources are all of the energy giving and motivate, motivate, motivating things about your work. And so um, when burnout happens, we know that there's way too many job demands and way too job, way, way too few job resources. Um, but the research really helps us understand that there's some core job demands that if we just kind of focused at least somewhat on those, we could really move the needle away from, from burnout in organizations. And there are things like 
low autonomy. So I don't have a lot of say or control over my job when I can come in, what I can say yes or no to. Um, lack of leader and colleague support. So we know like having cohesive teams and, and knowing someone's got your back is really important. Um, lack of recognition. So no one's telling me I'm doing a good job. I'm not getting feedback. No one's, you know, kind of noticing that I'm doing that I'm doing good work. Um, anytime there's unfairness going on in an organization and values disconnects. So what I think is important about work and what I need from work needs to be very similar to what my organization also thinks is very important about work. Um, and then really, I would say probably the number one job demand that exists right now, and we've talked about this already, is workload. So it's a hard thing for organizations to tackle because of budgets and all kinds of issues, but they need to recognize that workload is very, very much a big driver of burnout. So no, and I like that. Now, now, what's interesting to me, Paul, is that <laughs> you, you talk about, you know, no autonomy and yet entrepreneurs who have the most autonomy of anybody still get burned out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but I love your comment about too many demands, too few resources. So how important is it that as an entrepreneur, we spend our time actually developing the resources? It's really important. In fact, um, the, research, the research would suggest that if we're going to try and do something to manipulate this equation, we can either reduce our demands or increase our resources. And we tend to see more movement or more bang for our buck when we focus on improving our resources. So it is um, things like, again, building in that recognition. It's having a sense of transparency. So as a leader, making sure my employees know what's going on and they're in the loop and they're, you know, if something's going to impact their work somehow, they have a say or a little measure of control over, over you know, kind of how that how that plays out. Making sure you're building a really cohesive environment and making sure, as the leader, also you have a strong support system and that you have a good network of of help. And so it's it's a whole constellation of things that we don't necessarily think about that become really important. So would it make sense that if you're a business owner, it would be important to be around other business owners that might be able to share some of that? You know, one of the challenges is who's going to give you that attaboy, right? I mean, maybe your clients. Okay. That's where I get a lot of that. But the reality is, is that, you know, there's, there's no up from, you know, <laughs> there's, <laughs> I always say you can complain. It's okay to complain equal or up, but you never oh, complain downwards. Well, right. okay. So I don't have equal. Okay. If you know, if you're, if you're the, if you're the CEO, you only have people down below. So you don't have an up and, and there's not an equal. And so how important is it, for example, for uh, particularly small business owners, entrepreneurs to be in a network, like, I mean, for example, our wealth building network, we find this where we actually meet on a monthly basis to talk about each other's concerns. How, how valuable is that to a business owner from preventing them from being burned out? Oh, it's critical. I think it's absolutely critical. And I think it's one of the things that we don't necessarily think about as business owners is being important. I think sometimes we intuitively know that that would be helpful, but to really be able to, to build that network of support becomes one of the more critical things that you can do. And so for me, I also you know, have other entrepreneur friends who I talk to. I have a business coach who helps me tremendously, not only with, you know, just the nuts and bolts of, of, you know, sorting out my business, but also provides that, you know, energy and enthusiasm and, you know, keep going, you're on the right track kind of a thing, because it's so hard when you just put your head down and you're in the middle of the work 
all the time to sort of pull your pull yourself up from that and to see um, and recognize everything that you've accomplished to know where to go if you have a problem because it falls to us to you know as the owner to kind of solve any challenge that comes up and and to have that support system I think is one of the more important things that business owners can do. Awesome, thank you. So, so you talk about um, recognizing accomplishments. Um, where does that come in as far as you know satisfaction in the workplace and and being being happy with what you're doing? So you're actually feeling like I'm getting a reward for. I, I may be working hard, but I'm getting a reward for it. It's so important. In fact, um, when I actually work with um, teams within organizations. As I mentioned, workload tends to be one of the biggest demands driving um, burnout when I see it. But in second place, I would probably say lack of recognition. And so I, I joke with people, I have yet to meet somebody who says, I'm being thanked too much at work and I wish people would stop. Um, so thanks is more than just recognition. It also creates a sense of belonging. When you recognize what I've done, it's sort of the same thing as saying, I see you, I see your value, I see what you've accomplished. I, you're a valuable asset and part of this organization. And so even though you may not say all of that, it convey that's the underlying meaning to, to positive feedback and recognition. And so, um, you know, it's, it's really, honestly, I think it's one of the easiest, but one of the hardest things for people to do, because we're so busy and we're just not tracking or paying attention to something so small like that can really, have a profound impact um, with, within the work culture. And when people feel like they're recognized, all of a sudden now when someone comes along and says, hey, why don't you come over to my place over here? It's, a, you know, the, you know, you're like, oh, I don't think the grass is greener over there. I'm gonna stay where I am because I know that I'm, that I'm valued and it's really hard to replace that. You know, you, you mentioned that again, that term work culture came up again. And I reminded because earlier today, uh, we have a, you know, during the pandemic, it's tough because you're not all in the office together. So it's a lot easier when you're in the office, you know, to have those, uh, you know, that, that, you know, thank you and all that kind of stuff. But here's what I've noticed. We do this weekly check-in meeting. It's only half an hour. And the very, and we actually go around saying, you know, we, we have a, a, um, a tradition where we, you know, what do you feel like saying? And mm -hmm. Every time, it's amazing to me, and this is every single member of the, of the team says, I am so grateful to be part of this team. And mm -hmm. so one of my questions for you is, I find that one of the most satisfying parts of the job is, is working with a team and, and really having a team approach to things. So a, a lot of CPAs tend to do their works in silos and so you've got, you know, a partner and maybe a couple of managers and some staff and they're one silo. Then you have another partner, a couple of managers and some staff and there's another silo and they've got their clients. And, and that's a fairly common in our industry, just like probably your industry too, I would expect, uh, or the legal industry, excuse me, your former industry. Okay? <laughs> um, you, you've, uh, you, you've actually graduated from the legal industry. Um, so 
my, what we do is we make sure that everybody works together and everybody, you know, it's very much, and we don't, um, we don't even reward based on individual accomplishments. We reward based on team accomplishments. So my question mm -hmm. to you is for us, that seems to have worked. Is that just, did we just get lucky? Um, do we just have, have uh, lucky with the right people or is, is there actually something about that team environment that is, um, is, is a special part of a good culture? Yeah, so you could have gotten lucky. I mean, that that certainly could be part of it, but I have a feeling that there's probably more to it than luck. And and I think that um, teams, you know, the kind of the whole thesis of my book is that if we're going to move away from an individual conversation and start talking about burnout as in a systemic way, then it becomes where in the system is sort of the best place to start to think about deploying some of these techniques and strategies. And really, the answer. Uh, in my perspective and, and from the research standpoint comes back to pointing at teams, right? Most people do their work in teams. And even though you're talking about in some industries, still that silo effect, you can still think of, I mean, even if it's just a partner and then, you know, several people who are working with the partner, that's still a team. Um, we don't necessarily think like that and think in teams language, but that's absolutely the case. And so the fact that you've prioritized that and have cultivated um, the, the, almost the psychological safety or the trust or the cohesion in a sense, I think is what you're starting to see when people say, I'm really grateful working on this team. So there, there are things that you're doing in your, in your teaming environment that are um, working and paying off. So the team's component is, is certainly, I think an important one to focus on. That's awesome. Thank you for that. So, so I, I, again, on culture and you talk about values and how important those, those shared values are. I'm a huge believer that that's the, that's the very first place you start with a business. And I've actually had um, uh, business uh, owners come to me, clients come to me, and uh, they were complaining about their partner. And I said, I remember one very specific company. And I said, you guys will never be successful as a partnership. And he said, why not? He says, because you don't share the same values. Mm -hmm. And, you know, values to me is what, it, it makes a marriage good or it breaks up a marriage. It makes a team good or it breaks up a team. And, uh, and, and coming up with those shared values to me is such a critical part of feeling part of that team, right? And so how do you, um, you know, when you talk about the values, how do you talk about that in terms of culture and fostering this environment that you're talking about? So I think what, I, I love everything that you're saying. Um, and I think one thing that needs to be punctuated though is that your values have to be lived. So everybody in organizations has their list of, you know, you walk into their, you know, physical workplace, workplace at least you did, you know, a little over a year ago and you see the banners and you see the signs and you see the note cards and you see all of the sort of the marketing materials sort of propagating what, what the company values are. And I find that it can be very rare. I can tell right away when I'm working in an organization that lives their values. People just speak in a different way. They act in a different way. Um, they talk about their environment in a different way. And it almost from the outside sounds like they've like drunk the Kool-Aid. Uh, and so it can sound kind of bizarre, but they function in a completely different way. And I know it's because they're truly honestly living and they've bought into what all of those values mean. And so it's not just enough to kind of put them out there in fancy you know, marketing ways. You literally have to start talking about them all the time, right? You have to start catching people when they're displaying the values and, and reinforcing that they're doing something well. If you have people on your team who are not living the values and they're clearly you know, violating what 
you know, some of that underlying message is supposed to be, you have to be addressing that because if you don't, other people are going to see that and that's going to start to erode some of that psychological safety and trust. And so I also think in this virtual environment, it's one of the most, I think it's one of the best things that remote teams can do to stay connected because you're, you're geographically diverse and dispersed. And it's easy to notice all of the differences that we're experiencing. But one of the things that's gonna glue the team back together, the biggest thing that you have in common is why are we doing this? And what are our values and what is our purpose? And is that being talked about enough? Because it's the thing that's gonna kind of keep everybody gelled in this environment. So I wanna key on a word you say, and that's the purpose. Um, I have three companies and every one of my companies is very mission driven. So we don't do anything for money. Uh, and now we expect to get paid. Don't get me wrong. Our <laughs> clients pay us very well, uh, but that's not why we do it. Right. We do it because we are driven in our mission. And and there and the three three missions are similar, but they're they're different because one's a CPA firm, one's a marketing company, and one's a software company. Um, but they're all mission driven, and actually they they share a commonality in that our mission is financial education. And so, how to me. Having that mission and really being focused on mission and not on money and not on, you know, these other attributes of success, but on how do I, what's my mission to serve others? I mean, I, I think about the, the great book, The Happiness Advantage. I'm sure you know this book, yes. uh, uh, Sean Acor, one of, my, one of my favorite books. And, he, you know, he talks about, you know, you can look at any job one of three ways, right? And one of them is it's a calling. Yes. And to me, um, I can honestly say that I don't do anything that's not my calling. And, mm -hmm. But it's taken me a long time to get there. It's taken me a long time to get there. So talk about that mission and calling just for a minute, if you would. Sure. I mean, it took me a long time to get there. I think that was part of the deep work that I had to do to really um, sort of end my burnout and transition in a way that was going to create a sustainable long-term career for me is I had to tap into something deeper. I had to start to revisit, like, what are things that I've always loved to do? What did people tell me I was good at, like back in sixth grade that I've completely forgotten about? Um, and that was really instrumental um, in terms of my own personal development and figuring out so that I wasn't just randomly kind of picking a second, you know, career out of, you know, ending my law practice. And I think it's been critical to the fact that I've now been in my business longer than I, than I practice law. But where this really, I think, came home for me was when I was interviewing the CEO of Trivago. So, you know, obviously in the travel industry, their business was, you know, completely disrupted by the pandemic. And I asked him a question because it almost seems sort of like fluffy and frivolous to, in a sense, to be talking about like mission and purpose and these soft kind of softer kind of things when everybody's just trying to like keep their head above Survive. water. And yeah. And especially at the beginning of the pandemic, when, when we're all like, are, am I going to have a business? Like there were some serious questions that people were asking themselves. And he said, it's really been one of the more critical things that has kept us going as, as a team and as an organization. We've come together now to almost kind of take our mission, you know, which is how to help people create these meaningful connections through travel experiences 
and think about that so that we can be on the forefront and innovate, you know, as <clears throat> travel picks back up and as the pandemic starts to lift, what is that going to look like to people going forward? And how can we start thinking about that now? And this was months ago so that we can be ready to provide people with a travel experience that they want when they're ready to travel again. And so, um, you know, he couldn't speak highly enough about how critical talking about their mission and, and purpose was, so. Well, it's like you say, I mean, you, you feel it. When, when, you, when you go in a company that's really mission-driven, it yes. may not be on their wall. It may not be anywhere but, but who they are, but you feel it from every single person. And, yes. and you know that this is what it's about and everybody's speaking the same language, right? So yes. I wanna turn just to, to wrap up, I wanna turn to one, I think, very important thing. You talked about, um, not enough resources. And one of my favorite books, Good to Great. Um, and I love the idea of not just getting people on the right bus, but getting them the right seat. And one of the things I found, and this is, was probably a key to my burnout, frankly, and getting out of it, was that when I started doing only those things that only I could do, okay, that's mm -hmm. when life changed for me. And right now, so... <clears throat> Um, I, I, this, this is not to brag about this, but I'm going to tell people I spend less than 10 hours a week running a CPA firm. Okay. Oh, That's all the time I spend running. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I never spend more than 10 hours a week running the CPA firm. How do you do that? Well, you do it by having the right people in the right seat. I'm not the right person to be managing the company on a day-to-day -day basis. I am terrible at that. And mm -hmm. I hate it. Okay. I'm mm. a terrible manager. I hate managing. Um, now, do I, I, I love being the leader. I love creating. I love, I love actually creating the resources, right? That's what I love. Um, but for me, I just found that once I got in the right seat on my own bus, mm -hmm. it made all the difference in the world. How does, I mean, to me, that was a big impact on burnout. Um, yes. Do you see that in other companies? Yes, and, and I sort of frame it around a, um, a concept that comes from some research in, at um, Harvard Business School around like the leader, leader producer dilemma um, that a lot of people in professional services firms experience, right? I, I have to kind of lead other people, but I still have to produce the work. I'm still filing the tax returns for people and things like that. And so, um, you know, one of the big takeaways that I took from some of that research is that you have to really take a step back and kind of I like the visual cue, like to think in terms of buckets and like, what are, what are your buckets? What are the, like the three most critical buckets that you yourself need to fill and be responsible for both in the short term and the long term? And then everything else should be delegated. Everything else should, should come off your plate somehow. It should go somewhere else because that's really all that you have the bandwidth to be able to do. And so that comes up in my coaching conversations a lot with folks and, um, you know, so I think it's a good starting point for people to think about and, and it, I need personally need to think about that for myself, um, you know, especially when things get busy and, and crazy for me. And so, you know, what is the highest and best use of your time given the level that you are at right now? So, yeah, so I, just, just to be clear, nobody wants me preparing their tax return. That <laughs> is not a good, that, I am not the best tax return preparer. In fact, I am the worst tax return preparer in my entire organization. And I, I didn't used to be, I used to be the best one, right? Right. But right. what I found was, is that we're sometimes we're, we're concerned about creating the resources because we think about the money. And what I would just, my personal experience is I make a lot more money working 10 hours a week than I ever did working 60 hours a week. 
Yes. Okay. And, and that's a hard, that's a hard context to shift that you can actually make more money when uh, uh, there are a lot of people who can do tax returns. A lot of people review tax returns. There are a lot of people who can talk to clients. There are a lot of people who can do a lot of things. What I do, I don't know anybody else who can do what I do. And so I do that part of it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's my 10 hours a week, right? Five to 10 hours a week. But the rest of it, I can hire somebody else to do. And I find that actually I'm much more successful financially. So it's not just a matter of, yeah, I only have to work five, 10 hours a week. It's also, guess what? I make more money. Yes. Well, and it's, it's also, it's the highest and best use of your time and what are you good at? And it's understanding your lane and recognizing it as well, which you have done. Um, but there was an interesting study that I stumbled across that I talked about in my book. Um, and it's also kind of back to our conversation about meaning a little bit and thinking about what are the aspects of your work that are really meaningful for you. And so for some people, it is filing tax returns. It's, mm -hmm. it's you're connecting with knowing that um, you are making a difference in somebody's financial future in a very big way and you're protecting them, you know, from laws and, you know, things like that. And so um, the study said that when you can do up to about 20%, spend up to about 20% of your time doing the thing that is, or the things that are most meaningful to you in your work, you notice it like, I think it was like half the rate of, of burnout. So there was, it was a tremendous sort of payoff for, and for a lot of people, that's four, five, six-ish or so hours a week that if you just kind of rethought how you spent them, um, maybe reorganize your day a little bit and start your day with an hour of something that you find meaningful about your work or end your day with an hour of something that you find more meaningful about your work. I don't know. I think it's a powerful strategy that people should should try and see what the payoff is. I love that. Thank you, Paula Davis. So so uh, final words, Paula, give us two or three things, top two or three things we need to do in, like you say, in our systemic culture of our work environment that we can do both for ourselves and for employees, not just to avoid burnout, but really make life fun and, uh, and, and happy the way it should be. So I think one of the best things that folks can do, at least right now, is to check in on each other reach out to a colleague and just ask somebody how they're doing, right? Forget about business for a second because that's going to occupy so much of your time and simply just reach out and, and say to someone, I got your back. How are you doing? What's going on? And just start those conversations. There's so much stress happening in the workplace. And I think that we're, we're trying to like pretend it's not there or just we're all in it. So we just know it. So we don't talk about it. Um, but I think that, that that's fostering that support and the cohesion among your team um, and the trust among your team, I think can't be emphasized enough right now. And so I guess that would be my big parting, parting message. That's awesome. So Paula Davis, the book is Beating Burnout at Work. I highly recommend this to every, every owner of a CPA firm. Everybody works in a CPA firm because look, folks, it's so easy to burn out. I mean, seriously, if we didn't have such short memories, nobody would last more than two or three years in this business. I want to tell you, Paul, this is my 40th busy season. Oh. 40th. Okay. So consider that one. All right. <laughs> um, but I've only done it. I, I, I would never have made it. Had I, had I let the burnout consume me and not stepped back and, and completely, completely redone the way I looked at work. So with that, uh, Paula, what's the best place to reach you? Um, people can go to my website, stressandresilience.com. You, you can also go uh, directly to my book page, which is beatburnoutnow.com. So you can find lots of resources in both of those places. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, Paula. And everybody, just remember, it's busy season, but this is also the season where we do a lot for our clients. We make a, a lot of money. And so, you know, rather than complain about it, to me, um, I think we can set this up so that we can rejoice in it and say, mm -hmm. look, this is great. This is the harvest. Okay. We work all year for this. And this is the time that we harvest. And uh, when you do that, what I think you're always going to do is you're going to always end up with better clients, better practice, and better life. See you next time. You've been listening to the Wealth Ability for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.